As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. It's good to be here. And we're really pleased to have a guest with us this week. Uh, that's Chris Goswami. How are you, Chris? I'm great, and it's great to be here, Tim. Thanks. Um, for those who haven't come across you and your writing on, on the internet on many topics in the past, do you want kind of briefly explaining who you are and, and what you do and what leads you to our, to our door today? Yeah, sure. So I've worked in the tech industry for over 30 years, uh, software development, uh, telecommunications companies, Silicon Valley companies, and uh, just kind of retired from that job. Uh, earlier last year. Uh, In parallel, I'm a Baptist minister at a local church here in Cheshire. And then the third thing I do is I do write on my website, which is called 7minutes.net, the number 7minutes.net, on matters of, uh, that I find, that I come across that cross um, life and faith, and in particular, in particular technology and faith, as that is my background. Well, we're really pleased to have you on the show, uh, in particular because um, we're, we're tackling a, a complicated topic today, which is cryptocurrency, uh, something that I think is almost daily in the news, um, and yet something a lot of Christians, I think, are probably still struggling to wrap their heads around. Um, before we go any further, we want to state very upfront that that this episode and, and the next week's episode, we're going to be carrying on talking to Chris. We're going to talk a lot about uh, cryptocurrency, about finance, about investment. None of this counts as investment advice. None of the three of us are, are trained financial advisors. And so please do not uh, use anything we say to do or not to do anything. Uh, if you're wondering about what to do with your own money, please go and speak to a, a properly financially regulated and trained professional. This is just three uh, kind of lay Christian interested in tech trying to bat around some of these important ideas um i guess the first thing before we kind of dig into uh the the meat of this is to try and explain for those who are really baffled what exactly a cryptocurrency is uh chris do you want to have a stab at that and, and we'll see where we get see where we get to yeah and it's not an easy concept to get your head around and some of the um coins that are called cryptocurrency aren't currencies but some of them are so let's step back and if you cast your mind back um, to 2008 and um, the year that um, institutions that couldn't fail suddenly failed and institutions that couldn't possibly go bankrupt went bankrupt and they were the banks uh, they failed um, not just in the UK but around the world and it's we now call that the financial crash of 2008 now, in the aftermath of that 2008 crash, 
a lot of things changed, some regulation around banks changed, but a group of people or persons, we can come back to who that is, came up with a vision. They, they produced a white paper for a new vision for a new currency called Bitcoin. And they proposed that this new currency could, shouldn't depend on banks that can fail disastrously. In fact, it shouldn't depend on banks at all. It'd be a new form of tender, independent of any, um, any of the then financial organisations. So that was the vision. But the question then is, what exactly is, what exactly is Bitcoin and where does it come from? So um, I'm going to use a comparison here of, of digging for gold, which I think is something that if we haven't done, I haven't done it, but we all understand that. So if you think about it, um, mining for gold, if you want to look for gold, you can go out um, legally, you can buy a spade, go up to Scotland where there are traces of gold and start digging. And if you're really lucky, you might find gold. It's, it, we call it mining. Obviously, on a more industrial scale, uh, most of the time, that's how gold is mined. Well, bitcoins also are mined. They are mined, but not by digging holes in the ground. They are mined by uh, computers solving puzzles. So the people who set up Bitcoin devised this complex uh, puzzle algor algorithm to which even they don't know the solutions, but there are a number of solutions. And now what we find is there are thousands of computers around the world which trying to find solutions to this Bitcoin problem. Every time they find a solution, everybody else in the Bitcoin network, in the Bitcoin chain, agrees that the person who found the solution, the next solution, owns a Bitcoin. So if you find a solution, Tim or John, or John you own a Bitcoin, and we all agree that you own a Bitcoin. So that's one, one similarity to gold. Another similarity to gold is that um, if you think about it, um, gold doesn't actually have any value intrinsically in itself. It's just a metal. It, it's shiny and it's yellow and we like the look of it. Um, it has value because around the world we've all agreed that gold, an ounce of gold, is worth so much in dollars or pounds. So similarly, enough people have agreed around the world that when you find a solution to this puzzle and you get a Bitcoin, that has a certain value. So then it becomes usable as a currency which you, for which you can use uh, to buy and sell on the internet. Um, now, the, the kind of third bit of this, if you like, uh, and then I'll stop, um, is, is the whole network of computers around the world that are searching for Bitcoins, and there are thousands of them. They monitor every transaction, every Bitcoin transaction that occurs on the internet. So let's say I bought a pair of trainers uh, on Amazon, uh, and you can indirectly use Bitcoin on Amazon. Let's say I bought a pair of trainers. All the thousands of computers around the world that are managing Bitcoin agree that Chris Goswami now owns one less Bitcoin. Let's say it's an expensive pair of trainers. One less Bitcoin and Amazon has one more Bitcoin. And we call that network of computers that, that uh, monitor and manage Bitcoin transactions around the world, the blockchain. It's a technical term, but that it just means this online ledger. So, so that's the, the idea. It's, it's, you know, you could then ask the question, well, can anybody, can I use my computer or can you, you use your computer to mine Bitcoin? And the answer is yes, you can download free software to mine Bitcoin. But realistically, you need a warehouse full of computers to realistically have a chance to solving this puzzle. In much the same way that you could buy a spade and go off, you know, down the road and say, I'm going to dig for gold. You can definitely do that and you might find some, but you probably won't. You need, you need industrial equipment and intelligence. 
So that's um, I hope that's helps just set 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 the 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 the, the playing field there. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks so much, Chris. I, I guess what is interesting and what is new. I mean, we've had digital money, as it were. You know, <laughs> traditional currencies, pounds and dollars. Um, have you know people are very familiar that you can buy and sell and send money over the internet uh, and in fact the vast majority of transactions in old currencies now happen that way you know cash is a, is a vanishingly small proportion of that so w- i guess what we need to be clear is that what just differentiates bitcoin as a digital currency is is not that it's all on the internet and doesn't actually have any physical form but that it's not there's no central bank underpinning yes. it you know so yes. the, the key thing for the dollar is that there's the u.s federal reserve which um is is holds stores of gold and other things in its in its vaults uh and and regulates and and manages the flow of the currency and a key thing that satoshi nakamoto the personal persons who invented bitcoin wanted to avoid was that there should be no one single central bank that could control this currency it's it's often called decentralized finance or DeFi because it's kind of belongs to everyone um and that's the key critical i guess um, yeah, breakthrough yeah. of the blockchain is that it allows yeah. kind of you can trust yeah. that that Amazon does have one more Bitcoin and Chris has one less because the blockchain is a public ledger, but it is irreversible. Once a transaction has been added to the blockchain, it can never be taken away and can't be tampered with. So, so you've absolutely hit a key point there, um, which is that when we do normal uh, transactions, either um, in real life or or on the internet, as you as you pointed out, Tim, financial institutions are involved. So. I might use my Visa card or MasterCard or American Express. They're involved. Then it gets settled by a bank, HSBC or Barclays. They're involved at that point. And as you pointed out, a key difference here is there are no uh, financial institutions involved. We, it's kind of crowd crowdsourced, if you like, like many things on the internet, that we just agree. So the three of us just agree between us, as you as we could, that Chris now owns one less Bitcoin and somebody else want, owns one more Bitcoin. But there's no bank, there's no um, credit card company, there's nothing like that. Correct. And so, thanks very much, Chris, because it's, it's it's a very helpful overview. I think another fascinating aspect of all this is that, therefore, effectively, it seems there's no regulation. You know, so if I'm trying to open an account in a bank these days, it's, you know, it's like getting into Fort Knox, isn't it? They want to know absolutely everything about you. They need your passport. They need your, you know, your proof of identity. Um, and uh, there's clearly a whole lot of security measures looking out for money laundering and uh, money coming from dodgy sources and, and all the rest. But the whole point about... Bitcoin and these other cryptocurrencies is that they appear to be completely unregulated at present um, and nobody really knows it, it's it's crowd it's crowdfunding it's crowdsourced and so they've got this very dodgy reputation haven't they so for instance uh, I understand that a lot of the ransomware that's going around where mm-hmm. some big company gets trapped by um, software and and they're asked to pay a ransom in bitcoin in order to release Mm -hmm. their uh, you know so the criminals use are using bitcoin uh, presumably as a way of avoiding uh, evading regulation Mm -hmm. so how does that work if it's an open ledger how can a criminal be using it well let's talk about um let's address that in a couple in a couple of uh, steps first of all 
is it a good thing or a bad thing to remove banks and traditional financial institutions from institutions from the system? Um, so yes and no. Um, removing banks from the system achieves the vision that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, person or persons who invented this, had, which is to reduce the dependence on institutions that can fail and that also cost money. So every time um, the bank manages a transaction for you or for me, somebody has to get, has to get paid, an office has to get heated, etc., etc. That costs money, it takes time. Um, on the other hand, as, you, as you've kind of intimated, banks have a pretty clear idea of, uh, of who's spending money and they have a reputation of blocking financial activity, which um, appears illegitimate. So I think, you know, we would all say that your banks are not perfect, but at this point they are well regulated. Um, but the, I, I think this idea that um, it's, a, it's a source of criminal activity. So the, the online ledger, uh, this network of, of users of Bitcoin, is actually very hard to hack, first of all. In fact, it's almost impossible to hack. If you want to hack the system, the Bitcoin system, you have to attack thousands, possibly millions of computers worldwide simultaneously. That makes it very secure and very traceable, that we know um, we can trace when a Bitcoin transaction happens and we can trace when it gets converted into um, actual currency. Um, now, in terms of criminal activity, that, that is a, an accusation that's come up, um, come up against um, Bitcoin a number of times. Uh, a, number, a, a number of things that you could say about that is, you know, um, actually, is that any different, really? So if you think about um, cash, for example, you know, there are institutions, big and small. So there's, there's, a, there's a fast food place in my town that only takes cash. Why is that? Um, I don't know. It might be legitimate or there may be something, there may be a tax incentive for them, an illegal tax incentive. Uh, and so there is actually a lot of um, unethical trading going on anyway. Um, now, there's very little actual hard evidence that more unethical activity is happening uh, with crypto than with other forms of payment. So just again to clarify for my own understanding, when a, when a criminal is using Bitcoin, everybody would know like the IP address of the computer or whatever, but they wouldn't necessarily know precisely who was operating it. Or is it possible to, you know, to use software techniques to hide your identity? That there have been, um, there have been, yes, you can use software techniques to hide your identity. Um, it's difficult, but you can do that. But there have been some high profile prosecutions of criminals um, who have you tried to use Bitcoin to mask their activity. Um, you know, you could look those up. Uh, and again, I would say, um, I don't, you know, there, there's not much evidence that there's more, proportionally more uh, illegal activity with Bitcoin than other forms of payment. It's, it's new and that is a problem for people that we don't understand it. That, that can lead us into um, places where we do end up losing money. of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. The kind of um, the thing that triggered us deciding to tackle this as a topic on matters of life and death really was what's being called crypto winter. 
So that's this kind of probably about nine, maybe even a year yeah. where, where the value of Bitcoin most prominently, but a whole host, if not all cryptocurrencies, has been plummeting after a kind of peak mm. during the kind of earlier years of the of the COVID era. Um, and, and with it, lots of kind of high profile crypto institutions, um, most recently um, FTX, which is a kind of exchange where you could buy and sell different cryptocurrencies and convert them from different into into traditional currencies, uh, completely fell apart. And its kind of leadership has now been... Um, arrested and charged with various kind of fraudulent activity uh, and several others D- do you think well i guess one what is going on here why is the yeah. kind of sector taking a battering at the moment yeah. and two <clears throat> this is kind of creating a lot of nervousness or anxiety among people who might have invested in or, or kind of considering that is that good anxiety yeah. or should we say actually this t- kind of let's take a step back and calm down it's not the end of crypto as we know it yeah um i think the first thing i'd say tim is that if we'd had if we'd done this interview let's say this time last year i think the tone of the conversation would have been different because all cryptocurrencies were on the rise they were soaring and maybe we would more have been saying hey you know this is this seems really good and how good can it get but in fact you're right um, in the last six months, certainly in the last year, um, most cryptocurrencies, possibly all of them, have, have plummeted, even crashed in value. In fact, it's estimated that something like $2 trillion has vanished from cryptocurrencies um, since November 2021. Um, but um, again, you know, let's compare this to like things that are to like. Let's compare like to like, okay? Um, and I want to use the example of internet technology and internet businesses. Um, if you think back, and I think all of us are old enough to remember the internet coming, being quite new in the early 90s, um, there was a period of growth, and then there was a period of hypergrowth, of inflated growth, of hype. And um, around 2001, we had what we call the dot-com bubble, mm. where actually hundreds of companies that were overvalued, overinflated value, um, either either went bust or lost share value. So the company that I worked for, um, it, it, which was a company called Open Wave Systems, Silicon Valley-based company, in 2001, its share value was, or b- before the crash, was something like $400. Um, I, I don't remember immediately what it went down to, but just a couple of years later, the share value was less than a dollar. Right? So hundreds of times. Yeah, that's when I got them. <laughs> my, my share options came at a dollar each. Of them. Great. But, um, Back to but, the drawing board. Yeah, but here's the thing. And some people became very rich and some people lost lots of money. Yeah. There were stories in Silicon Valley of uh, gorgeous ladies uh, going out with very geeky software engineers, <laughs> uh, marrying them. So that wasn't you, Chris, rich. then? Was that it? wasn't me, actually. Oh, no, I wish it was. No, no. Uh, marrying them, marrying them and divorcing them and taking half their money. So, <laughs> so, so, so it, it, it was an absolute inflation and then a plummeting. And that kind of bandwagon, that, that isn't that unusual with disruptive technologies on the internet. It's not that unusual. Um, um, you know, in, uh, so, so another example, I used to work um, on a school governor's board with uh, some, some other chaps. And I remember one of the guys coming in one day, he worked for AstraZeneca, very uh, creditable, well-known uh, pharmaceutical company. And, I, you know, we had a chat, he says, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. The, the share price of AstraZeneca has crashed, it's crashed. And I said, what, you mean, what, it's gone down, what, 10% or something? He said, yeah, 10%, almost 10%. 
And I said, my company does that every week. <laughs> it's up 10, it's, de- it's up t- 12, it's down 9. That is internet, te- internet technology. It's just we're, most of us are not in that area. And even in uh, crypto, there have been other crashes, not as big as this one, but other crashes due to over-speculation. But the cycle repeats. And some would say, we are not, obviously, we on this podcast are not offering investment advice, but some people would say that this is the right time to invest. And I think it's interesting that, um, like, Bitcoin has halved in value um, from something like $36,000 per Bitcoin to 15 or 16 now. But it's still there at a quite high value. There are still millions of people using it, um, and it's a resistant network. It's still continuing. It still has millions of followers. I think it comes down to what we're used to and what we're not used to. But mm. speculation, of course, has been around for centuries, hasn't it? I mean, I'm remembering about the Dutch <coughs> tulip yes, uh, yes, boom, wasn't yeah, there? I mean, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so this idea of massive um, speculative uh, gambles, really, followed by disastrous crashes and people losing all their money and so on, it, it's, it's not new, it, but it does seem... It, it, there's something about the whole internet uh, fintech world, isn't there, which encourages. Uh, it's mm-hmm. so easy to click, you know, online gambling, uh, is, is, isn't it? And uh, I just remember the stocks and shares. The um, what was that video uh, company where a whole bunch of day traders? Stop, yeah. Uh, that's right. Pumped up the they stuff. They pumped yeah. it up, made a massive profits. Then it went. Then it crashed. Uh, crashed. It? So, in a sense, I mean, at this end of the, at that end of the market, it's very much like a casino, isn't it? It's 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 a form of gambling. Well, um, I think there can there certainly are some people who view it as gambling, and it can be gambling. And I think you know, um, on the next um, version edition of this podcast, we're going to talk about. Um, ethical arguments from the Bible and um, you know you you could there is this thing this FOMO fear of missing out as well however um, I guess what I'd say about that is um, it, it, you know some people say it's like a, isn't it a Ponzi scheme where it's just you, you're just actually waiting for the value of this thing to rise uh, and pulling in more people to invest in it so that the bitcoins that you've got will go up in value okay um, but that actually isn't that different to investing in many other assets or commodities. You know, if you invest in gold, um, you're just sitting there with an ounce of gold or, you know, ownership of an ounce of gold waiting for the price to go up. Um, so if you're, uh, and you know, if, if people are doing this as, as part of a portfolio or they're doing it because they are happy with the ethics and will come to the ethics soon, um, and it's part of their investment portfolio, then I, I, I think I, I would not agree. It's like gambling. Um, it's only as, as like gambling as investing in many other commodities or, or even some companies, you know. Um, you invest in Go on. Sorry, Chris, but isn't the yeah, difference between traditional investment that, and again, not an investment advice, not a, man, not a, not a financially trained person, but, but if you invest in, 
you know, even some of those dot-com companies that were absurdly overvalued um, and there was a necessary, though painful, correction, they did provide services. You know, pets.com is a classic example. Like, it did actually sell pet food. It probably wasn't worth what people thought it was, but it sold a service that had value. And similarly, if you invest, if you're buying and selling oil or some other commodity, oil is not a, a mythical substance that exists and you can take a barrel of oil you could just hold on to it and wait for the price to go up and sell it but you could also use it to power your car or to yeah. you know run a generator yeah. and i guess the, the argument often goes that unlike this cryptocurrencies are completely intangible and they have no functional utility except to fluctuate in value and so you hope to buy low and sell high particularly mm-hmm. because they're so <laughs> volatile they they struggle to actually act as a currency because imagine the pound in your pocket was worth one day um, you know, it was worth 72 cents, let's say, in the US currency. And the next day it was worth 70,000 cents. And then the next day it was down to 70 cents again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can't actually use that as a unit of exchange because it's far too volatile. Traditional currencies, ha- they obviously, they change in value, but by fractions of a percent. So realistically, the argument goes, I'd love to hear your response to this. Cryptocurrencies are actually just speculative investments, but unlike traditional investments, it's thin air. And so it's, it is purely kind of, tulip mania but you can't even at least you could plant a tulip bulb in the ground and have a beautiful flower yeah no so i think um this is a strong argument against cryptocurrencies and bitcoin but it's not as one-sided as you just said um so it is true i think i would agree that um if you invest in stocks and shares or as part of a um, a balanced pension portfolio as i have and, and perhaps i'm sure you have as well and so my pension portfolio is in what's called ESG funds, environmental and socially govern, well-governed funds. Uh, and, and so, you know, I do that because my uh, investments, hopefully, uh, are used to provide jobs, um, you know, for companies to grow, to provide education, provide work. And I'm investing in that. And, and I think that is a strong argument. However, um, proponents of Bitcoin and, and um, cryptocurrencies would say, well, it's not as intangible as you suggest. If you invest in Bitcoin now, the network is so big, you are investing in a network and you are investing in technology, which we'll come to later, this blockchain thing, which is used in other industries and to support other industries. You're investing in actually in a world of, uh, in, a, in a new industry, in an upcoming industry. And it is true, actually, that um, you know your big city of London financial organisations, they are now employing bright young people who to pursue solution, solutions based on cryptocurrencies. Wall Street, City of London, they are employing people now to pursue solutions based on cryptocurrencies. So not to the same degree, but it, it's not true that it's you're just investing in something waiting for it to go up. Thanks, Chris. Can I just raise another sort of ethical issue, which is about the amount of energy that uh, is used to uh, to generate these, um, you know, p- to perform these mathematical puzzles? As you say, there are thousands, if not millions, of computers as we speak, whirring away, chewing up energy, uh, doing nothing more useful than trying to solve a mathematical puzzle. And yeah. apparently, you know, the people, the, these so-called Bitcoin miners, who are most successful have warehouses full of these things mm-hmm. and people have calculated haven't they the amount of energy that's being consumed the amount of carbon dioxide that's being created and it's equivalent to a, a sort of small to medium-sized country apparently mm-hmm. um so 
isn't that a major problem for the use of this kind of technology? Yeah, and I think again, I would largely agree. But again, it's not it's not nearly as one sided as that. But I, but so for example, I was, when we were just chatting before we started recording, I was just mentioning there's a guy in my town. It's a very small town I live in, only twelve thousand people. And he's a couple of streets away, and this fellow has uh, in his basement one hundred and sixty eight computers. And those 168 computers are doing nothing except mine Bitcoin. And uh, he hasn't turned his heating on for two years. <laughs> so which, and he's even offered his immediate neighbour uh, spare heat. Um, the immediate neighbour is the plumber, so, but he did, I don't think he went, went for it. But, so, so this is an argument, and particularly in the current climate, pun intended, you know, there, is, this, is this completely irresponsible? And um, arguments against Bitcoin would say it's irresponsible that not only is it a zero-sum game where you're just investing in something intangible and waiting for it to go up or down, it's actually a negative-sum game because there are negative, what's called negative externalities. You are damaging the world. Okay? Now, let me just you know, um, um, give the, the opposite arguments to that because there are opposite arguments. Um, first of all, um, well... It isn't just solving mathematical puzzles. There are people now whose jobs in financial institutions depend on cryptocurrencies and bitcoins. It is an upcoming industry, number one. Number two, um, you have to compare it to traditional finance and banking. So, for example, if you walk through the city of London, you know, there are offices and they're all lit and there are computers and uh, there are computer servers uh, that are using electricity. There are cooling systems to cool them down. So there is also um, energy being, uh, ex uh, be, being spent on traditional financial finances as well. The last thing I'd say again um, to somewhat mitigate this argument against Bitcoin is that um, I believe that um, Bitcoin now uses something like worldwide, something like two thirds uh, renewable energy. OK, so two thirds of its energy is renewable sources. You could still argue well that energy could be used to provide jobs, etc. But two thirds of it is, is, um, is green energy. And that's happened because most of the mining operation that used to be in China uh, and it was using uh, dirty energy, coal fired energy. Uh, most Bitcoin mining is now done outside of China. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I suppose it really depends on on i guess your kind of optimism for the future of the sector as you say if you if you see bitcoin as that you know it's it's barely 15 years old it's a kind of nascent technological breakthrough that we're still figuring out every bitcoin transacted every bitcoin mined could be seen as an investment in a future kind of financial yeah, model which yes. could revolutionize yeah. the next century yeah. Yeah. and the counter argument i suppose is that it, it, this is ultimately a large and more technology complex version of something like you know tulip mania where for, for years people became convinced that you know tulips held huge value and there were crazy auctions and prices and then overnight yeah. the the, yeah. the delusion broke and it crashed and suddenly we realized that these are just flower bulbs and 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 they're worth a few pence at most do, do you do you worry about the future of the sector do you think that the crypto winter might not just be part of an up and down but might actually be the kind of beginning of a of a complete but the bubble bursting um <clears throat> I, I suppose um you know my perspective coming from um the tech industry you know i, I don't know I, I i do believe that bitcoin is here to stay i believe the technologies that underpin bitcoin are very much here to stay 
Uh, and actually there are also, which we haven't talked about yet, but there are some fairly strong ethical arguments in favour uh, of crypto and Bitcoin as well. So I think that would be my view. Mm. Brilliant. All right. Well, we've reached the end of this episode, unfortunately, um, but I'm pleased to say we'll be uh, joining Chris again next week to uh, take the conversation on digging into some of the looking at some scripture and some kind of Christian thinking around investment finance and, and trying to apply that to this new this brave new world of cryptocurrency. Um, so looking forward to that. Thanks. Thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope welcome. it's been interesting. Um, uh, as always, if you'd like to, to find out some more resources, there's plenty of stuff to read and listen to and watch at um dad's website that's johnwyatt.com um you can follow up chris seven minutes.net if i got that right yes yes um, that's right, yeah. and uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad m-o-l-a-d at premier.org.uk but otherwise uh, we'll see you next week for part two of cryptocurrency and bitcoin Hello, Tim here. Just before we go, I wanted to let you know we're planning a special episode in the next month or so to mark the one-year anniversary of relaunching Matters of Life and Death as part of the premier Unbelievable Network. We're going to be dedicating an episode, or maybe even two, to answering questions from you, our listeners. They can be on any topic, perhaps something you've heard us talk about over the last year that you'd like to go deeper into, or maybe instead there's a new development in the news or science that you'd be interested to hear us chat about. We can't promise to answer every question we get, but we're definitely going to try to squeeze in as many as possible into this special omnibus episode. Nothing's out of bounds, so do get in touch now by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Thanks very much. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.